So, uh, welcome along, Scott Hunter. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing good, Dick. Uh, what you been doing? How you been keeping active in lockdown? Is lockdown keeping you good or uh, do Wally? Yeah, it's not so bad actually. Um, spend a bit of time on the computer. Uh, still getting out for a walk and stuff. Then uh, I was still getting down to my studio. Uh, albeit we were just allowed one at a time, but it got me out of the house a couple of days a week. So, yeah, more fortunate than most, I think. No, good, aye. Well, we're just coming out of our second lockdown here in Auckland, so aye, doing these podcasts has been keeping me sane. So yeah. uh, this show is all about kind of like the old school rave and uh, how it started and how, how I got started, how we got started and... Uh, just to sort of paint a wee picture for people who maybe don't know it and uh, just sort of try yeah. and understand how it went. So one of the first things I always ask someone is, uh, when was your first rave? What, what rave? What was your first rave you went to and when was that? Well, I would say my first rave would be the summer of 91. Um, Darren Brogan and Smithy were putting on raves at what was Bailey's in the town. All right, was, aye. What, what, Laterly known as um, Sinkies. That's but right, yeah, they were putting on raves there. Um, Dan Brogan was playing a lot of Italian house. And Smithy played the, the Belgian techno. Uh, so I would say that was my first rave. But I mean, I, I sort of built up to it in a way. Um, there was a lot of buzz around 1990. Uh, particularly with the cronk and stuff. I was just a bit young. I mean, I was only 12 in 1990. Um, All right. But my my mate's older brothers, they were going and, you know, we were aware of what was going on. Um, the football hooligan thing was still going on a bit at the time. Um, it was, aye. So it was kind of weird. It was very territorial in Dunfermline and surrounding villages. But yeah, like I say, we got a sniff that, that something was starting to happen. People were starting to come together. Um, and I went to Tronk at Loch Gelly, at Banners in Loch Gelly. They used to do an under-18s on a Friday night. So right. that was very kind of crossover at the time. They were playing a lot of indie music, Happy Mondays, uh, Stone Roses, uh, a bit of 808 State, Stevie V, all that. So it was kind Aye. of a bit of Acid House, a bit of indie, a real fusion. But I would say 1990 was my first rave, so to speak, where it was it was totally fresh, particularly the, the Belgian techno. You know, once I heard that, that was the, I knew that was for me. Aye. It was funny, as was what most people have said, you know, it's all Happy Mondays, Stone Roses, no old enough to get into places like the Cronk and whatnot. I mean, I was I was 15 in 1990, and uh, I tried to get in the Cronk, but uh, like my wee baby face, I looked about 12 when I was 15. <laughs> And I couldn't get into them. So it was the same with me, uh, 1990 when it started. And then that summer of love in uh, 91, that was it. It's just, yeah, can't, yeah. I can't go back. I couldn't look away for that year. That's probably one of the best years ever. So I'd, I tried to go to the Cronk, but I, I didn't actually know they did an under 18. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a. It was a shitty vibe, mate. It still had that kind of fighting type thing going on. You know, everybody was segregated in uh, corners and you were nervous even standing for the bus going home, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it was, it was different. You know, it, it, it gave us an insight into the music, but not the scene, so to speak. Aye. So... Did you just carry going up? Did you get yourself around the country, going round and seeing raves or round about Fife and whatnot when you got into that? Or Well, it was mainly local at that point. Um, yeah, I was playing football with Dan Brogan's younger brother, Chrissy. We played in the same team at Dunfermline Colts. So, yeah, we were privy to all the hot labels, all the fashion, everything. 
I was uh, I've been talking to Darren and I'm waiting to see if he's wanting to do it. He's not replied back to the shit. But um, right. I remember he used to come down to uh, the bingo hall and he had actually had a jacket with Kronk written across the back. You ever mind of that? <laughs> it was one of those. Well, actually, funny thing was, I think it was, I must have been playing under 12s at Inverkeven and uh, we had a presentation night, but it was actually um, Darren Weir who stayed in King's Seat across the road for Dan Brogan. Aye. But anyway, he done a cronk, he done a cronk dance at our presentation. <laughs> was just like, oh, what, what's going on here? Well, that that kind of prompted an interest. Um, and then, yeah, I was playing with Chrissy the following year. I, I swapped clubs. Uh, and yeah, Darren, Darren, although he, he played the more accessible stuff, um, it, it, was a, it was a good way to get into the, the tunes. Uh, i seen him uh, a couple of weeks ago on uh, Facebook. He's on a Facebook Live, and I can still see he's got one room, one wall in his room, absolutely covered in vinyl. He's still got hundreds, yeah. thousands of records in his shelves and whatnot. Yeah. So um, did you ever go to any like illegal raves or that that was kicking around at the time? I, I didn't get too much yeah. around about five, but yeah, I mean there was a few. Uh, again, I can remember my mate's older brother sort of tuning in. So you know we knew the, the pirate radio stations, um, although most of it was down south. Aye. Uh, but yeah, I remember them going to meeting service stations or doing raves in farmers' barns and stuff like that. Uh, I mean, we put a few on ourselves. Then I would say it's sort of maybe about 94, they used to do raves on a Sunday morning after parties at Preston Pans. All right, aye. And they, they were awesome. No. I always seemed to be on the decks when the police came, <laughs> like, for some reason. But... Um, yeah, they they were great. So I mean, we always used to have the boot full of vinyl, and um, yeah, That's a, I, I remember one at Kirkcaldy as well. There was one at Kirkcaldy at Ravenscraig. Um, that'd be uh, a wee bit earlier. Leather, Leather was talking about one of them last week, and uh, and we used to go there as well. It used to be like after moist sometimes, we used to kick back to. Uh, that'd be about 93, I think. Ah, about 93-ish, 94-ish it was, eh? And yeah. you used to go travel through there, and then at like 6 o'clock in the morning, you were standing there freezing, watching the sun coming up. <laughs> and the guy hadn't turned up with the rig or anything. It was just car stereos that was blaring, and everybody was just sitting in the car park. Well, everybody, everybody had good sound systems, though, you know, with the subwoofers and stuff. It was, um, uh, that was the days. that was enough. Yeah, yeah, uh, totally. That was the days where you had to, like, watch your car, because that was only, your car didn't get nicked, it was your stereo, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, um, when did you, what made you think about getting into DJing then? Was it sort of going to these early events or whatever and saying, I want to do that, or? Aye. Aye, well, as soon as, as soon as I went to my first rave, I knew that's what I wanted to do. Um, there was an older guy at the school um, selling a set of decks and a mixer. Um, they never had pitch controls, um, but they were Sony Direct Drives. So I bought them. I remember buying them for my birthday for forty quid. Wow! And yeah, I, I was just I was just cutting in acapella stuff and it was like spin back and slow down stuff but oh that was it that classics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah my mate two doors along uh, ray he'd be about ages with you um and that inspired him a couple of months later he bought a set of citronics uh belt drives but they had pitch controls and within a couple of weeks we both mastered uh, mixing um so that was it. Then the, that Christmas, I got myself um, lab set up, right. just belt drives. That's what I had. I. But um, Ray was um, studying electronics at Oreo in Glenrothes. I don't know Oreo. if you mind when everybody oh. went there on the YT. Okay. I remember that place. I. Yeah, but uh, he sussed out how to manipulate the pitch control so we had our decks set at, so when they were at minus eight they were playing at normal speed so that allowed us to get plus 16. all oh, right get a right ramp on, on it aye. 
Perfect. So that was kind of a trademark, uh, playing really quickly. So uh, that was your first set of decks and whatnot. Was, were you a, a good bedroom DJ? Did uh, the Ma and Pa uh, love the music? Oh, they hated it. They just couldn't <laughs> understand it. Uh, neither could the neighbours. And of course, with Ray and I being just two doors apart, it'd be blaring. So if you were in between us, you had a pretty rough ride. Um, Paul Simpson was, uh, he touched on um, how we all used to sit, there was a school out the back of his uh, his bedroom window. So if, you know, overnight he would go, right, I'll go and do a set, and he would just put the speaker up at his bedroom window and actually play it to us. So I was sitting in this wee school playground yeah. at night, and all the neighbours were going nuts. <laughs> we were all bouncing around the school playground. So, uh, aye, what was, the, what was the first record then that you, that you got? What, was, what would you say was the first 12-inch first that you picked up and said, can't wait to get him and play that? Yeah, I mean, my first record, I'm not, I can't really remember. Uh, my cousin was a big music fan. Uh, my old man, he used to work in Gibraltar. He was at the dockyard. So I used to be out uh, with my extended family during the summer holidays. Um, I used to buy seven inches uh, wheelies and kind yeah, of yeah. And uh, I mean, I'd done the whole kind of deep blue thing and all that in the 80s, you know, Aye. when they were kind of popular. Uh, then, yeah, I mean... I remember Jeff Wayne's Eve of the War. There was a remix of that came out in the late 80s. And I was like, that's fucking awesome, you know. Uh, then 808 States, Pacific 202 was a proper aye. life-changing moment. That's aye, That's one of the first ones. I, I did. I recorded mine, my podcast last night, and I, and I sort of, I talked through, like, going through high school, and it was about 87, 88. And see the first time I heard... 808 State and uh, like even Technotronic and S Express and whatnot. Mm -hmm. That was that was it for me. Yeah. That was like whoa, yeah, kind of whoa. That, what, what's that? I need more of that. So uh, I that was used to try and find them on seven inch and I never used to get them on twelve or that. I couldn't afford a twelve. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, there was uh, there's the NWA thing in that as well. It started to come through. Then Bomb the Bass was a huge tune. Uh, Aye, that, that, was that was amazing use of sampling and yeah proper ghetto blaster tune yeah and, but, and uh, that's that's the thing with sampling as well now i hear some tunes now and they're sampling rave tunes from back in the day and you mm -hmm. know i'm like nah it's not as good as the original <laughs> that's probably what my, <laughs> that's probably what my dad used to say about all the tunes i used to listen to that was sampled yeah exactly so um you got into djing got your records and whatnot, pestered the neighbours and your mom and dad and everything. What was the first gig you ever done? What was your first rave that you played at? Can't really remember. I mean, we'd done a lot of house parties. Like I say, I mean, I was 12, I was, say I was 13 in 91. Um, so yeah, I mean, the Mullers were doing a lot of parties um, around that time. Uh, Russell was just a year or two older than me. Um, and yeah, it was a community, I, th I think it was King Seat Community Centre, it was the first time I played on a PA, and I remember right. being quite shocked, because um, I was quite comfortable bedroom DJing or playing to my schoolmates, even if there was about 30 in a house, um, but yeah, I remember just being a bit taken aback, and uh, I just done a lot of cutting in between the tracks. I, I didn't really beat match so much. Um, it, it was different. Uh, what I was hearing through the headphones wasn't necessarily what I was feeling through the PA. It is a weird so that feeling. That took a man. bit of adjustment. Aye. I think the first one I did, we didn't even have a monitor. <laughs> so that was just a disaster. Yeah. Well, with the same, the same thing, you know, and I was just, I remember just be, uh, being totally f thrown actually because uh, yeah i'd been so comfortable up to that and we'd been playing on pretty loud systems you know yeah the days of the technics and the tannoys and the missions and stuff so you know a lot of folk had uh, pretty loud sound systems even in their home aye so um what was your dj name then 
I was just known as Hunter up until Is maybe you? the aye, till the mid nineties. Then uh, Gail Noble was putting on a thing uh, on a Friday night at Nosebleed, and she was going to call me a DJ replay, but that never ever came to anything. All right. Um, and then I thought I'd be really clever and call myself Cut the Snort because it was an anagram <laughs> of Scott Hunter. <laughs> That's pretty good, actually. Again, <laughs> well, it never really stuck, so it, it got abbreviated to CTS, and I went with that for a while. But yeah, I, I just put Scott Hunter now. Cool. So, um, so what? What? Where were you? Were you resident down there at um, Nosebleed? That was one of the. No, no. No, I uh, I went to Moist after Chill and Cam Dean and all that sort of calmed down a wee bit and it started like nobody was going to them. They were still trying to play the same records kind of thing and then Moist started off yeah. and I went to Moist and then when I got to like 93, end of 93, 94, I kind of, I started going off it a bit and that was kind of when Nosebleed and that started coming in on the scene now, Dino and, and, all, and yeah. all that, doing that now. And I have to, I have to confess, I only went to two nights, and one of them was I was working behind the bar in the palace. <laughs> I was actually working by the bar, didn't it? So, um, did were you a, a regular down at uh, Nosebleed? Yeah, I loved it. Um, so that, that was the first of me being able to go to over eighteen events, really. Right. I... Um, but I loved '94 because, um, in many ways, I was the opposite. Uh, to yourself and um, I got a bit I was never into the sort of hands in the air piano stuff you know Aye. I could take it in small doses yeah. but it got really formulaic you know you, you could almost Aye. predict where the tracks were going to go Aye. Uh, so yeah when 94 happened you know there was a lot of interesting stuff um, right at the start you know Carl Cox started playing techno uh, Ratty was doing all the dark side stuff. Uh, Hype was doing the jungle stuff. And then the, the GABA uh, emerged in Scotland, really. Uh, which I, I, I enjoyed it, you know, at the time. I think that's when I first met Booney and all that, when the, the GABA start, stuff started coming through. He used to come to Nosebleed and whatnot. And the GABA, that was, I think I'd, I'd got to like 19, 20 or something at that point, and I'm like, aye. Bit too fast for me, but I was the same. I was I was saying the same about like how the rave music, the hands in the air stuff. You could you could predict what was coming on. It was like the night was, yeah. and nobody was putting their hands up in the air anymore. They were getting bored with it. Uh, so I suppose a change had to yeah. come, and uh, Nosebleed came along and showed everybody how to do it. Eh? But it yeah. was very successful clubs. So um, where did you buy your records then? What was your your um... Yeah, well, to begin with, uh, mainly sleeves. That was a favourite, uh, wasn't it? Then was it Fop that was in Coburn Street? Aye, over in Edinburgh, over the bridges. Aye. Aye. So they they were pretty good. Um, they used to give you descriptions of the tracks and stuff, and they'd put them on for you. I mean, luckily, I just went Tower Price. But yeah, uh, once Ray was driving, uh, we would go through to Sleeves, and they were great. And they had a 20p uh, bin as well. And it's That's amazing right, you could, uh, pick up in that. Aye, aye. <laughs> I used to go through there and spend my wages in there, I think. But, uh, yeah, they well, we were the same. Then Lel, when Lel opened uh, Most Wanted in Dunfermline, that, I mean, that was awesome. That was, it was a just godsend, a wasn't it? to hang out. Yeah, tunes blaring two brilliant DJs and really knowledgeable uh, in all genres and music. So Aye. You weren't allowed to leave the shop when empty-handed. Eh? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I mean, I've actually come out of there with a couple of records and when I'm going through it, I remember but well, having to buy them to get out. Kind of thing. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. just even take that one. I'll give, you, I'll give you a couple of quid off it. Uh, okay, like, take it. I didn't even want it. But, uh, aye. I most wanted it was uh, that was his shop. Uh. Yeah, that was a belter. I it was amazing, and I mean they were they were awesome DJs. Um, so I used to like watching them because they were good at the scratching. That was the first time I'd really seen that. Aye, it just made it look too easy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I've been I've been uh, talking to. 
No, sorry. I've, no, uh, laterally, I would go through to KMC's shop. Uh, that was at St Mary's Street in Edinburgh. Oh, right. I didn't so know he, he was doing all the jung, jungle techno. Right. And DJ Dell had Global and Dalry Road. I could right. buy a, the more kind of ravey and trancy stuff there. But that would be about uh, 93, 94. Aye. I mean, some of the stuff, 93, 94-ish, I mean, that was ultrasonic and whatnot. I didn't mind listening to them and whatnot. And, and I think, was it Dance Overdose and all that? I used to kind of yeah. follow them and buy their records and whatnot on Chill FM. That was no bad. It was a no, no bad time. So um, what about PA systems and that? Um, when you're doing gigs, did you ever like, like run the gigs and get all the PA, or did you just DJ them? Yeah, no, we did. We got stuff. There was a place behind the city hotel in Dunfermline ah. that used to hire out the gear. You could you could even go in and try it out. They would set it up, you could try it out, and just uh, load the car up because ah. uh, they were really sound. I can't remember the guy's name. <laughs> Do you know what? Everybody got their PA for their. Uh, on the, the podcast, and they'll take and remember who they were. Is that right? I uh, so Paul Simpson was telling me that um, I think they were for Dundee or something like that, and they did that fish heads night, and I found the fish heads flyer. Uh, I can't remember what the guy's name is. It was it's on Facebook. I, I put it on another week. The fish heads one, but it's still not got the name. I was trying to find out the name. I was like, I'll find it off that flyer, but no one can remember their name. Yeah. Everybody got their PA from there. Oh, no. So, um, how did you have a short production or anything that then? You know, the, did you ever? Yeah, I have. We dabbled. I mean, we tried with the STs and the Amigas using Cubase, but we didn't really have any hardware at that time. Um, so it sounded terrible, you know, although probably not any worse than some of the tracks that were around. Uh, Aye. I've, uh, but yeah, a lot of my mates are uh, sound engineers. So yeah, I've, yeah. I've went right through, through the years, um, but I used to prefer playing live. Yeah. I've uh, I've dabbled in it, but I kind of think even with the music I've got, I try I try too much for perfection. And listening to the same bit of music mm. over and over again for about an hour, did that? I, I stopped liking it. I didn't want to do it anymore. You know? So, have you got a studio set up in your house, or have you got somewhere that you go somewhere in mates or that? I mean, I've still got a lot of the old gear. I've got still got my um, MC three hundred three. Uh, mm -hmm. I've done away with the TB because I could get a bit of money for that. Uh, I've still got my SH09 uh, synth, uh, a rolling keyboard and reverb, delay pedals and stuff. So, I mean, I used to like a uh, MIDI setup. Yeah. And it's, it's, fair, it's fairly forgiving, you know. Uh, I've got a bit of training in music, so, you know, I, I know the keys. Uh, so yeah, MIDI's pretty good because it mixes it up for you almost. Yeah. And I, you know, I've bought and, bought and sold a lot of stuff on eBay over the years. But yeah, I mean, I've, I've not no. played anything for about three or four years. But oh, that's... It, it will come out again. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, do you ever like pull it out and have a wee... Well, hold on. We'll wait how we phrase that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever pull out your studio equipment, your keyboards, and have a little play now and again? <laughs> I've uh, I've got one Not of those. Not a minute. All right, I've got uh, one of those we Akai MPK mini things, and uh, I can't yeah. read music, can't play music, but I got it just to try it and have a bash. And I've done some stuff, you know, I've done some jingles for YouTube channels and stuff like that. But yeah, oh, it's something I've never kind of. I've tried it, no for me. So, um, what would be your favourite sort of years then for your music? So you're, you're on about like how early nineties was kind of the, the first stuff and whatnot. What was what would you say was your era? Is, is it is it the ninety three ninety four ish? I would. About that I would. That was that was my favourite in terms of music. Obviously, the freshness in ninety one. You'll never beat that. Yeah. You know that kind of strawberry season, if you want to call it that. You know, ah. everything was fresh. And it was just the, the shift in mindset as well, you know. Um, it's interesting. That, that's hard to beat. 
It's interesting you say how, like, when, when you went there, it was still sort of, like, segregated with people standing in corners and whatnot, because I remember um, going to the first ones at Camden, and, you know, I used to go to Dunfermline High School, so there was that Dunfermline Recife thing, and it was there was always battles mm-hmm. over the summer holidays and battles at school and whatnot. And I remember walking into Camden and seeing a couple of guys through the tune and thinking, ah, oh, shit, this is going to kick oh. off, eh? <laughs> Yeah, and, and it didn't, eh? And it was guys that you wouldn't talk to at school were suddenly coming up and going, "All right, dude, you know." And then it was like, "Wow, you're talking to yeah. me. You've never talked to me for four years at high school. Now you're up, give me a cuddle." I don't know what that was. I mean, maybe he just found a bit of affection for me at that time, or maybe there was something that influenced them to do that. I don't know. But, um... Yeah, I mean, but obviously we were the same. I was, I was a town boy, um, but. Um... Yeah, I mean, I remember who had been at, um, remember there was a skateboard shop, I think it's called Homer Sports or something like that, across for the commercial. Oh, right, aye, aye. It's a sports that. shop, but they sold skateboards and right. trucks and all, all that kind of stuff. We'd been at, anyway, I'd been buying a pair of gazelles, but we're walking down that hall and we could hear this Hoover track. It's like, what the fuck's that? So it ran round the corner towards McDonald's. And uh, there was Recife Boys, the Ghetto Blaster. <laughs> what, what's that tune? And it, it was Dominator that was playing. All right, aye. Like, fucking... So, you know, right away, I was like, I need to find this tune. And um, lo and behold, they had it in our price. So I, I went home with a record and then phoned up my mate and I was like, we've got, because they were handing out flyers for chill. I noticed you got the t-shirt on. <laughs> Right, okay. I was, I was like, we've got to get down to the Institute. This fucking record's amazing. Um, so, yeah, me and my mate just said we were staying at each other's houses and um, got, got money off our parents to go bowling or something like that. I can't remember what the excuse was. And, yeah, way down to the Institute. Oh, excellent. Happy story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, that, that was... The, the first night that they'd ever had a red laser, <laughs> it was just a single red <laughs> laser that pointed to the back of the room. That was really groundbreaking. It just been a strobe and a smoke machine up to then, you know. It was, eh? I, I was talking about that the other night. <laughs> it's, uh, they used to put on the flyers, you know, we've got a laser and a rainbow light. <laughs> yeah. So? <laughs> and then when you got in there, you're like, oh, right, I see why you were going on about it. Like, okay, that's pretty smart. Like, and they, it, it was funny when they but, used yeah, to, like, I mean, there was... they used to turn off all the lights out and have that just a laser and the crowd would go mental and start roaring and blowing whistles. And yeah. They amazed that. Well, there's still a lot of folk doing acid at that time, you know. It's... Aye. The whole aye. E-, e culture hadn't really kicked off until folks started going to res and some of the bigger raves, you know. Right, that, there was some kicking around, but it was mostly microdots. They were the famous ones, weren't they? <laughs> yeah. So, um, all right, if I was to ask you then to pick four tunes, right, from back in the day, right, what what would mm-hmm. they be, do you think? Have you had a wee think about that? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 this could change every day. It does, eh? But, um, yeah, but the... The first tune I'm going for is Mark One, Hoovers and Spray Cans. All right. Um, and that, that was the first tune that I heard that had sort of all the essential ingredients that I was looking for. You know, the Apache break, sort of simple melody. Yeah. Kind of the hands in the air stuff, the driving synths, then the, the soothing vocals uh, on the breakdown. Very it just good. moved really nicely. I don't know, Shaq. I don't think I know that one. I, I, I probably you do. You know. You're just as soon as you hear it, yeah. And you are a, a font of all knowledge when it comes to records and whatnot, because we we've got the forgotten rave classics page book, uh, Facebook page that you set up, and uh, that's amazing. Yeah. I love going on that, and it's grown. It kind of went a wee bit quiet there for a wee while, but now there's a load of people joining in now, eh? and it's good. It's it's kind of back up and running, and yeah. And it's always good to get up. And obviously me in New Zealand, I get up in the morning and I have a wee look and then there's a nice wee fresh tune and I look at it and go, yeah. don't know that. And then I'll, I'll put it on and, oh, fuck, is that what it's called? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lido always says that uh, I've cost them a fortune. Um, 
but that was just to, again, to do something different. There were so many rave groups, but they were all playing bizarre ink, playing with knives and stuff like that. Aye, you know, you don't need aye. you don't need a thousand groups playing the same tunes. So it was originally called B-Sides But Belters, and we right. just played exclusively B-Sides. Um, but that started to plateau off. Um, and I, I'm kind of conscious of that, you know, when I, I find a tune and I put it on and I'm like, oh, you know, that's that's an A-side. And uh, I notice there's a couple of people on it now that's going, this is an A-side, is it all right? Kind of thing. And that's good. It's good, eh? Uh, yeah. But and, and before I put one on now, I, I sort of talk to myself and go, ah, this hasn't been played yet. Come on, stick it on. It's, it's not, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's the point. Aye, and it's great because there's some great conversations and some great memories getting spoken about as well. It's a brilliant, brilliant page. So um, what, what's your second record then? Uh, Dragonfly, Visions of Rage. Oh, I know that one. That's a good one, aye. And for similar reasons to the first one, it just sort of defied everything else that was happening at the time. It was very UK sound, you know, it'd been sort of Belgian-dominated for 12 months, the techno scene anyway. And yeah, this just moved really beautifully. Okay, then. Built up, then the, the hands in the air break down, but not in a cheesy sense, you know. It, it done it atmospherically, which I, I really liked. Cool, all right then, what's number three then? It's Red Alert and Mike Slammer, in effect. All right. And the reason being is um, Mark Smith, basically. Yeah, he was good, wasn't he? He was. Uh, he's yeah, done, he's just done amazing, amazing. Um, so yeah, I remember going to see him at Barrowlands about '92 and just being blown away. Um, I was using turntablism techniques, uh, a lot of scratching, but he, he knew how to build a set. Aye, and he just switched in and out of all different genres. Uh, I, I'm, I'm amazed hardcore. I'm amazed at how much he's been involved in, you know, back in the day with uh, yeah. some of the production. And when you hear about some of the ones he's been involved in, you, when you hear it, you think, oh, aye, it was so obvious that he was involved in that. Yeah. All righty then, and what about number four? Number four, I've went dark side, tango and follow, intrigue. Uh, uh, Ratty used to cane this, and it's one of the, again, sort of life-changing moments. So one of my schoolmates had gave me an obsession tape of Ratty's, and I remember just hearing this tune and just like, whoa, what the fuck is that, you know? I, uh, so I, again, that moment, I had, to, I had to find out what the track was and track it down. I ended up playing, paying about eight quid for it at that time. Um, wow. But yeah, I think I played it down the phone to Zebedee. <laughs> to <find out. laughs> uh, Lido was on about that the other week. He was saying uh, there was a guy at Dolphin down in uh, Rill. Used to phone him up and he'd spend two mm -hmm. hours playing records to him down the phone. Uh, I, I, I never thought of doing that before going through the sleeves. That's, that's quite unique, actually. That's a good one. Yeah. I used to go in and go... What's that one that goes dead, 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 and they go, Nadik, give me it again, and they make me do it about three or four times <laughs> until you twigged that they were just taking the piss out. Yeah, the whole shop yeah. was laughing at you. <laughs> <laughs> and then they just they'd already pull it out and go, there it's there, is that it? And you're like, aye, see you got it. Why did you, you bastards? <laughs> so um, apart for yourself, then, right? Uh, who would be your favorite DJ at the time who was the who was the one that you used to you would fight tooth and nail to go and see well early doors it was Mark Smith um just for the performative element you know he, he was sort of head and shoulders above everyone um yeah in the UK scene anyway um then Ratty Ratty was the first DJ that taught me the importance of creating your own sound you know he didn't really give a toss what anyone thought of. he'd play b-sides and it, you know you knew when ratty was on i mean i, I started going to help her skelter 
no one ever asked if hype you know was on or if ratty were on they knew because they had a distinctive sound Aye. whereas all the sort of anthem bashers they would be like who's on the now but you didn't have to ask that question Aye. he was good i think i've still got a couple of his tapes actually kicking about up the wall somewhere so um all right he was did he do the res he was at res a couple of times eh? yeah about 93 i mean the, the the stop the dark side stuff people there was a bit of kickback to it and i mean kmc and kid were the jungle djs in scotland both are really underrated um they started up their own club night um yeah the as soon as GABA came in, the Scottish moved towards that and it, it kind of mixed quite well with the, the Scott Brown uh, type tunes that were happening. Uh, and yeah, while there was trance and still breakbeat hardcore and stuff getting played, but it, it certainly towards um, certainly towards 95, it moved towards uh, a more hardcore vibe, you know, a more Dutch sort of orientated sound. Yeah. Well, okay, so do you still dabble now? Do you still you still got a set of decks to still spin the wheels? I sold my decks uh, quite a few years back. I mean, I've still got the vinyl, uh, but I play the occasional old school night. Uh, not sure what's going to happen now with, with COVID and stuff, but um, I mean, I'd like to put something on um, next year if possible. But oh well, that comes that comes to the next question uh, next year. In June, that'll be 30 years since that free rave at Camden, there was. And uh, me and Barry Moffat and Liddell and that done one uh, for the 20th. So, nine years ago. Right. I think it was nine years ago in March we did it. So, you know, I'm in New Zealand and I might be able to get on a flight and come over at one point. And uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm saying to everybody, right, how's about we do a Wiz reunion, 30th reunion uh, next year? Were you up for it? Fancy a shot of that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, count aye. me in. Aye, little wants to do it all day. He just wants to play himself all day, and I think he he probably well, could. Little. Aye, he probably could because he's bought everybody's records. So, um, you, you, <laughs> you see, you let it slip that you had a bit of vinyl left there, so it'll be at your. Uh, he'll be banging on your door in about an hour's time because yeah, he he's, he's already he's already tried. Is it? He's already aye. tried. I've, uh, I've told him I I bought and sold mine before. And then I ended up having it, and I only went back and got the real bangers, the ones that I, I really liked. And uh, I bought them all back off on eBay for like a pound at a time. So it was a pretty good market at the time because it was forgotten about. And then vinyl was, yeah. suddenly it's resurged and whatnot. And he's uh, he's going around the country hoovering them up from everyone. So uh, Well, they're commanding a, bit of, a heavy price just now, some of the rare tracks. Aye, I'm, I've, I've put a, a wanted list on uh, Discogs. And uh, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm actually amazed that some of them are actually quite cheap. You know, like uh, we were talking the other day, uh, Circuit, Shelter Me, I thought that would be, you know, 20-odd, 30-odd quid, but you can get them for a couple of euro, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then there's some of them, like Sinead Rosa and whatnot, you're always talking 30, 40 mm -hmm. quid, easy. Yeah. So, um, aye, well, that kind of wraps it up, mate. That was That was brilliant. Thanks very much for that. Pleasure. Well, there you go, folks. That was Scott Hunter giving us his story and memories of Rave back in the day and even what he's up to these days. So he picked four tracks and we're going to listen to them now. It's um, Mark 1, Hoovers and Spray Cans, then next up, Dragonfly, Visions of Rage, then we're going to have Red Alert, Mike Slammer in effect, Tango and Fallout, Intrigue. Hope you like them. Hope you like the show. If you do, like and subscribe. Share amongst all your friends. Delcy's here for a very long time going forward, I hope. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, share, spread the word, guys. Like, and uh, we'll see you next episode.